the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The northeast corner has exploded in the most incredible explosion. Flames are flying out of the building. They're five, ten stories high now. Black billowing smoke. The building corner, the whole entire corner is gone. Both World Trade Center buildings in New York City right now, heaps of rubble. At 9 o'clock this morning, a plane crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center in lower Manhattan. I heard the noise. I was in my office and I heard the guys screaming. So I ran out and, it, and everybody was saying, oh my God, and they're in tears. They're crying. Everybody's upset. I was trying to make phone calls. I looked up and I heard an explosion. And then I saw everybody in the street react first. People crying, people on the ground, everybody lying down. And then I looked up and I saw the, and I saw this huge plume of smoke and the tower just crumbling. And it, and it just turned into a huge plume of smoke. And next thing you know, there's smoke in one tower. Shortly after 9 o'clock, a second plane crashed into the second tower. Oh, my God. I heard a noise coming in incredibly low. And then um, I heard, I was standing here looking out the window, and I knew it was going to crash and something was going to hit the building. I dove away from the window because I thought the explosion was going to implode the windows and I'd be shattered with, with glass flying out. As soon as it hit, I came back and there was a ball of flame. I'm, I'm still shaking. I saw it hit the tower and flame everywhere. Then minutes later, President Bush in Sarasota, Florida, called those crashes an apparent terrorist attack and a national tragedy. Uh, today, we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Then an aircraft crashes near the Pentagon just outside of Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia about an hour after those attacks in New York. Looking out our 12th floor windows at 1600 Wilson Boulevard in uh, Roslyn, Virginia, and I watched this. It looked like a commuter plane, two engines come down from the south, real low, uh, proceed right on and crash right into the uh, Pentagon. Then shortly after 10 o'clock this morning, one World Trade Center tower in New York collapsed. So lots of smoke, and then the next thing I heard an explosion and the building on the top, the south building, just crumbled. Just after 10.30 this morning, the other World Trade Center tower collapsed. We were standing there looking up at flames coming out of the building and smoke billowing out of the building and, and police and FBI everywhere. And suddenly we heard a rumble and the sky was full of smoke. Everybody read crowds of people running through, I mean, shouting out to each other not to fall into the subway entrances. So it's just truly amazing because yesterday afternoon we were sitting in the World Trade Plaza Center having lunch and so now those two buildings are completely destroyed. Yeah, 18 years ago. Did you hear in the prayer show? You didn't hear it? He said, ask any 18-year-old or younger kid what is 9-11 and who did it, and see what they say. You might be stunned that most of them probably can't give you a very good answer 
And if that's the case, I lay out before, and look, I know teachers try to do the best jobs that they can. But I'm going to tell you what, it used to be in our nation that we could remember things like that and bring the kids together in solidarity as a, as a group at the school and for a few moments remember something like this. And um, I don't know, sing God Bless America or whatever. It's as if our children are not allowed to be exposed to any kind of patriotism anymore. And and that really bothers me. I don't know if it bothers you, but it bothers me. And I'm sure there'll be the uh, obligatory tweets that I'll get and emails that I'll get and texts that I'll get and, and tell me, Ellswick, come on, that that's just so old school, blah, blah. We need some more old school stuff in a country that forgets about how important it is to come together as people uh, under one flag, the United States. Let me repeat that again, the United States uh, of America. In fact, here, let me let me give you an, a feel for what it's like when there's, you know, united people. Uh, play that singing for me, if you would. Go ahead. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans, why You remember who that was? I had to, I had to ask uh, Zach to get that for me. We, he wasn't sure we had it, and sure enough, we had it in our archives. And uh, now I'm, I'm, Zach, you know who it was. I'm not going to say who it is yet. But do you remember that moment? I do not. Okay. All right. So I remember that. And, of course, my job makes me a little bit different than a lot of people because my job requires me to try to keep my fingers on anything that's happening like that. If it, when something like that's happening, I need to be aware of it so that I can bring it uh, to my listeners. Like I'm bringing it to you right now. And that's the last time to be honest with you. I can think of our congressmen and women and senators from both parties getting together and showing their love for this country. It's last last time I can remember it. There now there may have been other times, but that's the last time that I can really remember. They were all standing on the steps of the Capitol, and they were singing "God Bless America." After what happened on 9-11 back in in 2001, there was a short period of time where America was united in a common cause, in a common belief. 
that has vaporized. There is there's not anything like that any longer. Not a zilch. Uh-uh. It's not there. It's just not there at all. I mean, if it was at around 9 o'clock today or 10 o'clock, maybe 11 o'clock, to remember after the attacks had occurred, they would have all joined on the steps again and recreated that right there and sang together. Of course, there's a couple of congresswomen that probably wouldn't uh, be there. Today, uh, a son of one of the 9-11 victims was uh, addressing at the uh, memorial Omar. As you remember Omar, Omar said, you know, some some people did something. That was her words uh, on 9-11. Well, let me just, you know, Omar, they're Islamic jihadist terrorists attacked our country, just so you'll know. I know that's hard for you to talk about because being a Muslim, you hate, you know, you hate the Jews, you hate Israel. And I personally think that you probably dislike this country deep down inside of you. But here's what the 9-11 son of one of the victims from 9-11 had to say. Cut to. Good morning, brothers and sisters in good faith. Listen, some people did something. I am here today to honor my 76-year-old mother, Frances, on the solemn 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Mom, we all miss you and love you very much. This day I also remember over 200 personal friends and co-workers that I knew that died. I remember Virginia Fox, Warren Grifka, and Lou Avasano. And I remember your sons and your daughters, your parents and siblings, and all first responders. I remember all, I remember them all, and pray with you for them today. Some people did something, said a freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, to support and justify the creation of care. Today I am here to respond to you exactly who did what to whom. Madam, objectively speaking, we know who and what was done. There is no uncertainty about that. Why your confusion? On that day, 19 Islamic terrorist members of Al-Qaeda killed over 3,000 people and caused billions of dollars of economic damage. Is that clear? But as to whom? I was attacked. Your relatives and friends were attacked. Our constitutional freedoms were attacked. And our nation's founding on Judeo-Christian principles were attacked. That's what some people did. Got that now? We are here today, Congresswoman, to tell you and the squad just who did what to whom. Show respect in honoring them, please. American patriotism and your position demanded. For God and country, amen. 
All right. That's cutting to the chase, folks. That was definitely cutting to the chase. That was directed at Omar. That was directed towards the squad. And, uh, you know, I listen to the things that they say. And if you ask them directly, they probably would say, yeah, I love this country. I doubt it. Be honest. I doubt it. I see a lot of people. Yeah, if you're a member of Antifa, you don't love this country. You want to bring this country down. And I know there's a lot of me and a lot of others that all took an oath when we joined the military, and that oath still stands, and it will, and you'll bring this country down over our dead bodies. Just let you know. All right, so if uh, if Facebook, if part of this show disappears, if it disappears, it's because Facebook didn't like that I just said that. All right, we got to get a break. And when I come back, uh, I have been trying to keep you appraised of what's going on out in California with this uh, Dedalian uh, court case that's going on. I've got a piece from uh, the folks at, uh, was it LifeSite? Uh, for us, and we'll play uh, an interview that we have uh, with them and their reporter. They're the only people I know uh, that I've been able to follow with that is covering this trial. And every news organization should be covering this trial, but the only reason they're not is because it does not fit their narrative. If you talk to most of the uh, people who are uh, journalists, and I use that term lightly and loosely for a lot of the people at the big three, uh, they're very, very strong pro-choice. So they don't want to be there for you to hear uh, some of the testimony that's coming out in this trial. Well, that's why I'm here. I try to keep you up on stuff like this, and I'm going to share it with you. Uh, If you're watching on Facebook, after we post this hour, uh, do me a favor and share this with all your friends, this segment that we're going to play uh, from California because you'll want uh, your friends to hear about it. All right, uh, we got to get a break in. Let's do that, get that done, and we'll play part of our coverage from California in the secondary part in the next half hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 18th anniversary of 9-11. I was talking to a friend today, and uh, they said this is the only thing, only historic event that they actually can remember where they were specifically when it happened. We'll talk more when we come back. All right, back with you. I want to get into our coverage of what's happening out in California. I talked about this on Monday. Somebody mentioned to me in just a conversation. I was just talking to him, and they said, I heard that story, and it just sickened me. Well, here, let's bring you up to date what's happening out there. Let's go to Life, what is it, LifeSite News, LifeSite News. Patrick Crane, Managing Editor of LifeSite News, bringing you a special report out of San Francisco, where LifeSite has two reporters on the ground this week covering the criminal case against pro-life investigators David Delayden and Sandra Merritt. 
Daleiden and Merritt are both, fa- both facing 15 felony charges brought by the Attorney General of California after they exposed Planned Parenthood's sale of the body parts of aborted babies. Their groundbreaking undercover videos, released in 2015, gave the world an inside view of the callousness and ghoulishness of the abortion industry. The videos prompted congressional investigations and have spurred state legislatures to pursue further restrictions on the abortion industry. But they also, naturally, provoke intense backlash from the abortion lobby, including politicians and media. Now, Daleiden and Merritt are facing significant jail time and fines for their heroic efforts. They're in the midst, right now, of a preliminary hearing in the criminal trial brought against them by the state of California. Now, LifeSite has our own Leanne Lawrence in the courtroom this week and all of last week, and she's being joined this week by our video editor, Jim Hale. So to give you an inside track on the case, we're going to talk to Leanne, who is down right now at San Francisco's iconic Golden Gate Bridge. Hi, Leanne. So you've been there all week, and you'll be there for the rest of this week. Tell us what has been uh, your your experience there. What, what, have, what have you seen happening in the courtroom? Well, I would say that uh, Peter Breen of the Thomas Moore Society said it best when uh, he was saying that, you know, the abortionist caught undercover with David Delayden and Susan Merritt in their sting operation uh, exposing the sale of baby body parts were far more candid when they were talking to them, not knowing that they were being recorded. When they get into the court, they actually decide not to say anything. They're very evasive. They're um, dodging questions. They don't want to really admit anything openly. But on the other hand, the videos, the undercover videos that were taken by these reporters are shown in the court and the evidence is incontrovertible that they are doing really horrific and gruesome things in order to obtain organs, baby baby organs for sale. So um, the hearing, it's a, uh, it's a preliminary hearing for the criminal charges against David Delayden and Sandra Susan Merritt. There's 15 charges and it started on Tuesday with um, an abortionist uh, known only as Doe 3 uh, testifying that she um, used didoxin in order to kill babies in the womb and how she loved her job and she boasted that she was a star in a documentary on late-term abortion. So a lot of these testimonies are very, very chilling and you just see that there's a really dark, dark world that David Delayden and Susan Merritt went into in order to obtain these very important expose of what are, um, you know, illegal selling of baby body parts. Hmm. Now, Leah, what is at stake here for David and Sandra? Well, if they are convicted of these charges, this is preliminary hearing, so the judge is going to decide if there's probable cause to continue to a criminal trial. If they are convicted, they face 10 years in prison for this. And it's very ironic because they're the ones who've exposed what is essentially illegal activities on the half, on, on the part of the abortionists and the abortion industry to sell baby body parts, which is a felony, and also a number of other uh, questions are arising. Uh, did they perform um, the a partial birth abortion, which is also illegal? Did they uh, have babies born alive, which they are obliged to resuscitate under federal law? So it's ironic that David and Susan are facing criminal charges when they're the ones who've exposed criminality on the part of the abortion industry. Don Daler down here, four blocks north of the World Trade Center. The second building that was hit by the plane has just completely collapsed. The entire building has just collapsed as if a demolition team set off. When you see the old demolitions of these old buildings, it folded down on itself and it is not there anymore. 
The whole side has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The building has collapsed. That's the southern tower you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. The second building that we witnessed the airplane enter had been the top half had been fully involved in flame. It just collapsed. There is panic on the streets. Thousands of people running up. All right. So let me uh, try to give you a feel for the rest of the show today. We're going to cover other topics besides just 9-11, but we will, going into breaks and coming out of breaks, play clips from 18 years ago so that you got here at a Little Rock. I did midday show uh, from 9 o'clock uh, till noon. Rush wasn't on live. I went until noon. He came on and went till 3 uh, that changed, and uh, I moved to afternoon drive. Rush went live, 11 till 2, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember sitting there in the studio just a, uh, an hour or so before my show and seeing all this unfolding and uh, us going to ABC News to get uh, live coverage. But uh, before we go back to our coverage of what's going on out in California on this uh uh, trial going on with uh, Dalian, uh, the guy who did these under, undercover uh, videos about Planned Parenthood. Uh, let's remember again what happened 18 years ago on 9-11. Looked out my window, which is directly across from uh, Pentagon and Pentagon Row Apartments, and I saw the tail of a large airliner with a red, I saw Majesty, the red, there was a red dot of some sort on the tail. It plowed right into the Pentagon. All right. Yeah, we remember that. Yeah, we do. All right. So let's get back to our coverage with uh, the folks from uh, Life News and uh, their coverage of what's happening there in the courtroom in San Francisco. And the, the you know, the judge has instituted a publication ban, right? Can you talk a bit about that and, and how that's protecting the, uh, the abortionists in this case? <laughs> My understanding of the judge's order is that, yes, he's uh, ordered the names of the 14 does who are accusing David and Susan of eavesdropping on their conversations and uh, reporting or recording confidential information. Their names have been sealed. So in essence, they don't really know who their accusers are. However, uh, a lot of the information is available online and um you know, people who really want to know who the does are can see that even uh, what's going on in the court can be reported on. So if we're reporting that the, for example, the president of STEM Express CEO has admitted to supplying fetal heart tissue to Stanford University and where they're using uh, a technique that requires a beating heart, people can realize that even though she's referred to in the court as Doe 12, it's, it's quite apparent who she is. Another case is Doe 9. She was the one in the very first video, which really shocked the people uh, because she was admitting over lunch that she would um, convert the baby's position to breech in order to uh, obtain an intact calvarium or head, and that Planned Parenthood abortionists do all sorts of things in order to obtain intact fetal organs, which they then therefore sell. So in a certain sense, the order is rather strange because we can't reveal the names, and yet 
The judge doesn't want to restrain First Amendment rights, and so anything that goes on in the hearings can be reported. So it's somewhat easy to cross-reference who these actors are. On the other hand, they're accusing uh, Daleiden, David and Susan, of things which they could end up in jail for 10 years, and so it doesn't seem exactly fair that their names aren't out there and that we're not permitted to actually publish their names. Yeah, yeah. Now, Leanne, you've reported on a couple, uh, a couple of key admissions in the trial. One from uh, one of the uh, the Planned Parenthood abortionists who uh, you just referenced, who had um, uh, admitted to uh, babies being born alive during these procedures. I, you know, you, you reported a statement that uh, in this procedure where they where they deliver the baby and then and then kill them in order to take the take the body parts that they have a two percent failure rate uh, in, in basically in killing, killing these babies. Is, is, what, was, what was the reaction to that in the courtroom? Well, um, it's hard to say. I, I mean, in the court, it's very, very quiet. Um, I would say that uh, there are people who... Um, it just reveals the callousness of the abortion industry. What struck me is that the abortionist, when she was on the stand, you know, she's very gentil. She's very um, proud of her work. She's, she goes out of her way to sort of be cooperative with the questioning. And yet when it gets right down to it, she's dodging every single question, you know. And when she's pinned to sort of saying, well, could this conversation have been over? I understand the question. I'm not really sure. Uh, are you asking me to speculate and that kind of thing? Um, it's hard to see in the court itself what the reactions are because it's um, kind of a kind of a cl- clinical environment in a way. Um, I, I personally found one of the most shocking admissions to be when when uh, Peter Breen of the Thomas Group Society was asking Doe Twelve, who is the president of STEM Express, um, about uh, procuring heart tissue for Stanford University and Peter Breen said the kind of technique that they use is the Langendorf technique which is or it's the Langendorf perfusion and it requires a living heart and it just seemed at that moment I I couldn't believe what I was hearing and she didn't really want to admit that I mean he pressed her and pressed her and he finally had to do it through kind of a, a number of steps because he said well did they provide heart tissue to Stanford University it's here on the study at Stanford University uh, study says uh, was pro- the tissue was provided by uh, STEM Express, but she really didn't want to admit it. But finally, she said yes, yes, because she didn't want to admit it. She said because she, the researchers are being targeted. She was worried that researchers being targeted. And actually, the judge at that point said, "Well, I've ruled the question to be pertinent. You know, I, I, it's 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 part of the it's a um, it, it had been objected to, but." He said, you know, answer the question if you can. And then she said, well, yeah, we do provide heart tissue to Stanford University uh, School of Medicine. Um, another one, uh, yes, the, the, the part about the, um, the 2% failure rate. I mean, this was the abortion, or this was Doe number three, who did uh, late-term abortions for many years um, and is the sort of the celebrity abortionist. So she, she insists that, you know, she uses the jobs and she calls it digging. You know, I dig, I dig babies so that I don't have to worry about having a, a live birth or curve. But yeah, there's a 2%. And Doe number nine, uh, who, who also said when she was being pressed about babies being born alive, she said, um, 
well, you know, deduction doesn't always work. So of course, there's always the possibility that even if you think, think the baby is dead, that you've killed the baby in utero, the baby could be born alive. Interesting what you're saying with the clinical atmosphere of the courtroom, because that's what came across, you know, when when I read that quote in your story about how they have a 2% failure rate in this procedure that they use to kill the baby so that they don't, the babies aren't born alive. It just, it just struck me like it's a 2% failure rate in killing a baby, you know, how more clinical can you get in in describing this, this just utterly ghoulish reality, you know? Oh, yeah. No, it, it's true. It's not even just, I guess it's not even clinical. It's just extremely callous. I mean, they're, they just regard these, they're not babies to them. You know, they're just, they're essentially merchandise. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are we going to do with it? it, it it's, it's really chilling. It's so chilling and it's so dark to hear these abortionists describe how they're going about pulling babies apart in order to preserve intact organs. You, you know, I, I, I don't know how anyone can hear that and not be convicted that the abortion industry is such such a horrifying uh, such a horrifying thing and that you know we really 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 have to appreciate what David Delayden and Sandra Merritt and the Center for Medical Progress has done here like what they have done has revealed the ugliest, ugliest part of the abortion industry. Abortion itself is such a horrific crime. And then to actually, you know, take the organs of these tiny victims and sell them is, is well, really, I mean, it's, let's face it, it's, it's diabolical. The whole thing is really diabolical. And we really have to appreciate, I think, what David Delayden and S- Sandra Merritt have done. And now they're facing 10 years in jail for these very courageous uh, undercover videos that they've produced. Mm-hmm. Now, Leanne, you're, you're uh, you know you've been involved in the pro-life movement for decades. You're you're a, a veteran, you know, and, and you've been reporting reporting for us for many many years on on many of these these things. But what what has been your personal experience of being in, in the courtroom? Your re, your reactions to seeing, seeing this in light in light of your your experience, uh, your past experience. Well, my personal reaction so far is that yeah, this is just so dark, and also there's such. They're such liars. They're such liars. I don't know if I can say that, you know, because they uh, are avoiding questions. They are, they don't want to, you know, when they're pinned down in court, they, they don't want to say what they've done. I mean, it's certainly, why wouldn't they um, accuse Delight and David and Susan of, um, or, why wouldn't they accuse David Delighton and Sandra Merritt of, um, you know, recording their confidential informations? Because of course they would want to keep it confidential. I mean, it's just hor- horrific what they're doing, and I'm sure, and hopefully one day it will be proven to be illegal, because uh, they, they they seem to simply, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just hard to describe how very horrifying it is. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, Leanne, so. There's three more three more days of, of hearings in the in the criminal case well, well, this, this week, right? Yes, yes, that's just it. Now today, yes, there's um, 
The criminal hearing is expected to go for Tuesday to Friday of this week. It might spill over into next week if the testimonies are taking a little bit longer than they expect. Uh, I think that the um, defense is going to be calling David Delighton to the stand, and I believe that they're going to have their own experts coming up this week. Last week, we heard the prosecution's uh, witnesses who were cross-examined by the defense lawyers. So that's going to carry on for four days at least. Uh, we also have today in... Um, in San Francisco, uh, a preliminary hearing for a civil case, because not only are David and Susan um, facing criminal charges, there's a civil case that Planned Parenthood has launched against the Center for Medical Progress, which uh, is bringing RICO charges against them. So it's a very serious matter as well. Hmm. Wait, what, after this preliminary hearing in, in the criminal case, what, what would be the next, the next step in the process? As far as I understand it, um, the judge will then weigh the testimony and he'll decide if there's probable cause to go to a criminal trial. So he, it's, it's possible he may drop some of the charges, he may um, reduce some of them to misdemeanors, or he may leave them all intact. So we're just going to have to wait and see how that's going to go. Now, it's interesting to note that um, the prosecution itself was initiated, or the investigation into uh, David and Sandra was initiated by Kamala Harris when she was the Attorney General for California. And uh, she's ordered agents to go into David's home and to seize a lot of his video equipment and that sort of thing and a lot of the materials. So there's been um, a lot of, you know, it's obvious that it's a very politically motivated prosecution. The Attorney General, the present Attorney General, has carried on with the prosecution despite efforts by um, the David and Susan's lawyers to have them drop it because of the um, obvious connection with Kamala Harris and the present Attorney General with Planned Parenthood. Um, may I also mention that um, in connection with another uh, lawsuit by the National Abortion Federation, um, there's been a federal injunction on uh, a lot of the videos that uh, David and Susan collected at one of the, the National Abortion Federation conventions. So those have been under a ban. Now they've been allowed to be, they're allowing them to play them in court, but they'll be sealed after that. So that's another thing um, that they're fighting against is they cannot, uh, they can't release all of the videos that they have and with a lot more of that, you know, damning information against the abortionists and the abortion industry. So, and the judge in that case is William Oric the third, and he's the one who's presiding over the Planned Parenthood civil case, and he's also presiding over the National Abortion Foundation civil case. And he has connections to Planned Parenthood, and his wife has been on record as, you know, supporting Planned Parenthood. So that's another uh, part of the kind of collusion with Planned Parenthood and the um, state actors who are prosecuting uh, uh, David Delayden and Susan Merritt. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping keeping you and, and Jim in our prayers as you continue to cover the case, as well as uh, as David and, and Sandra and, and the, their legal teams. So, uh, yes, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thanks so much, Patrick. Okay. Thank you, Leah. Okay. God bless you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. So that's the latest of what's happening out. As we get more, I've reached out now to uh, the folks there at the organization for a contact of someone we can talk to that we can get on 
on a on a continually on running basis to keep this story in front of everybody. I think that you need to know what's going on with this story. There's huge, huge, huge implications from this story. Uh, if if they drop a lot of these charges and things of that nature, uh, you know, David uh, and uh, Sandra are going to be are going to be safe from having to spend ten years in prison. Remember that one of the uh, people who are running for the uh, Democratic nomination of president uh, was the AG at the time this was all going down, and she's the one uh, who brought a lot of these charges against uh, David and uh, his uh, other folks that were working with him. All right, with that, that'll wrap it up for us. We got to get to a break. And as we go to break, remember that the Dave Ellswick Show is remembering 9 11, 2001. And on this very clear morning now, the, the unusual sight is the lack of the trade towers sticking up above the buildings that are normally here. People have now begun to accept, but just barely begun to accept what's happened. All business at a complete standstill, nothing but sirens down here. As these throngs move further and further north, just walking away from what they can barely begin to understand. Peter? Bill, how far north did the, this, I mean, we looked at some streets which debris had just gone in a huge wide area. Right. I seem to be just north of where that hit. Um, I'm just up at Canal, so uh, there seem to have been enough low-lying buildings that is no more than, say, 20 or 30 stories high between us and the base of the tower to have protected people here from the debris. Uh, but here's another man walking past me, just just looking completely dazed, going north, uh, two or three other women. The crowds are beginning to thin out now, as most of the people uh, who were just standing around and watching or working there. One woman came up just talking a mile a minute with her daughter and her friend and her daughter, describing how they had gone to their school this morning. Uh, she was about to go to the trade tower uh, to pick up something from a shop there when her daughter said, I want a sandwich, Mommy, and so she stayed back. She said, otherwise I would have been there. They're still trying to understand uh, how they're so lucky not to have been over there. Uh, there must be thousands of such stories here this morning, Peter, of those that were the lucky ones. All right, back with you. Uh, we've got about three and a half minutes here uh, before we got to get ready to go to the news. Coming up in the next hour, Michael Cutler will join us. Michael, as you know, and he's been on many times, a great, great interview, great, great information. Uh, you know, he was there in New York when all this went down, uh, 9-11. And so we'll talk to him about that. He also took part in uh, talking with the uh, 911 Commission as they were putting together their report about 911. And we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about what's the latest news on the border because we've yet to secure our borders on the south of our country. And uh, there's people coming over that we have no idea uh, what they want to do. And we've had uh, verifiable evidence that uh, people from Hamas, Hezbollah, have come across the uh, the southern border, and sleeper agents are here in our, our country. And one of the reasons I always spend a good deal of uh, 9-11 on Patriots Day 
talking about what happened is that you can't forget because if you forget, then things start slipping through the cracks. And when things start slipping through the cracks, things repeat themselves. They repeat themselves. Uh, We forgot a lot of things that happened uh, to bring on Pearl Harbor, and those exact same things came back, bit us in the butt on 9-11. So it's, it's imperative that we remember what allowed 9-11 to happen, and we'll talk to Michael about that here coming up. Uh, remember earlier in the hour, I mentioned that Dennis Prager was talking today about kids that are 18 and younger. Ask him about 9-11. Ask him what happened and ask him who did what and see what kind of answer they give you and then go from there. You, as the parents, it's up to you if the schools aren't doing their jobs, for you to do your job. Well, you should be doing it whether the school does it or not. I mean, bottom line, you should be teaching your kids about this and uh, making sure that they know what 9-11 was and what happened 18 years ago. I just heard that um, the guy that was the mastermind who was down in Guantanamo Bay, finally will go on trial January 2021. That's just shy of 20 from the 20-year anniversary. 3,000 counts of murder in the first degree. Of course, death penalty is on the table. We'll talk more when we come back. Coming up with Michael Cutler on the Dave Ellswick Show. people will never forget or ever fail to be inspired by the courage of the men and women of Flight 93. We honor them by remembering them. And we honor them by resolving here and now that we will do as they did, each of us, in all of our varied roles to prevent such evil from ever reaching our shores again. All right, Vice President uh, Mike Pence today in Pennsylvania, remembering Flight 93. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, we remember nine, uh, 18 years ago on uh, 9-11, we refuse to forget. Remember what I said uh, uh, earlier uh, on the radio station Dennis Prager was on. And he asked a question. He said, ask any 18 or younger kid what happened on 9-11 and who did what and see what the answer is. Uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm asking you to do that with your children today. Ask them what 9-11 was and who did what and see what they answer you. I mean, does it not surprise you as you went to your child's school today 
Now, your your child's school may have been different from all the other schools that I've seen today, that there wasn't something special done for 9-11? Nothing done for 9-11? Kind of unnerving to me, to be honest. And uh, Michael Cutler joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Michael, of course, a prolific writer about uh, immigration reform and things of that nature. But uh, if you've listened to the many times he's been on, you know that he was in front of the 9-11 Commission. You know from what part of the nation that he's from. So 9-11, I'm sure, holds a very, uh, I don't want to say, I guess it is a special place, but it's kind of a dark place, I would think. Is it not, Michael, to remember 18 years ago? It is. Thank you, by the way, for having me on, especially today. Uh, most times, and last night was no exception, I find I can't sleep uh, the night before 9-11. Um, you know, the message was clear to all of us working in law enforcement that America was vulnerable. We'd been attacked many times before 9-11. Um, you know, whether it was the killing of Rabbi Meyer Kahana, the yeshiva kids who were shot going across the Brooklyn Bridge. Ari Halberstam was killed uh, by a radical uh, Islamist. We had the bombing of our embassies, the bombing of the USS Cole. We had the uh, shooting at the CIA by a, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, a month later followed by the bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured over a 1,000, inflicted a half billion, with a B, half billion dollars in damages. <clears throat> and in fact, uh, interesting story for you, um, I was home with a leg injury, Shortly before 9-11, I hurt my leg executing arrest and search warrants with the FBI and the New York City Police Department. I was part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, the same organization that took down El Chapo Guzman, the Mexican drug cartel leader. And my buddies at work were calling me up and saying, Mike, we know you've been before Congress. We know that there are people who listen to you. We're going to get hit. And I got into an argument with the guy who at the time was chief counsel, <clears throat> pardon me, for the Republican House Judiciary Committee, and I said to him, what the blank is it going to take, another attack at the World Trade Center? Believe it or not, Dave, wow. we had that heated argument on the Friday before 9-11. What did, so what, what, I, I, hey, Michael, let me just break in. The next time you saw him or the next time you talked to him, what did he have to say to you? Oh, I mean, you could imagine. Uh, 100% contrition, and, and, and we worked closely together. I knew him well enough. The language was something that I couldn't say on your program without costing you your license. Right. But, you know, I've never minced words. And I'm a New Yorker. I'm a Brooklyn kid. I grew up uh, learning how to uh, defend myself in schoolyard fistfights and so forth. We're a different breed, New Yorkers. We're a tough bunch, although not so much anymore, because if, God forbid, you defend yourself, you're probably going to get arrested today. We've become a nation of wusses. I, I, I have never seen anything like it. I never thought it was possible. When I hear this nonsense about toxic masculinity, toxic ma defending yourself is toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to race to surrender. You know, I, I wrote a piece years ago. I said maybe these, these idiots would like us to take the American flag and, and dye it so that it's just pure white, the flag of surrender. In my life, I never thought I would see what we're experiencing. My dad was a construction worker. He'll always be my biggest hero. 
Uh, he died of lung cancer in part because he worked in the Navy shipyard during the Second World War. Right. He wanted desperately to go to Europe and kill Nazis, except his brother was already in the Army Air Corps. He was the sole surviving male member of the family. And after that terrible tragedy of the five Sullivan brothers, hmm. if you were the last male member of your family, they wouldn't take you. That's correct. So he said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pipe fitter. If I can't go kill the bums, I can at least help the guys that are getting the job done. So he worked in the Navy shipyard in Brooklyn, and then he went down to Louisiana. And he paid with his life. He died of lung cancer when he was 57 years old. It was a, it was a tough situation. I was 19 when I physically carried him off his last job. But understand that Americans stand for something. When John F. Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon by the end of the decade, we kind of thought, wow, that's unbelievable. But, hell, we're Americans. We can do anything. Today, it seems as though we can't do anything, and we're reinforced with that idiotic belief by the politicians from both parties who say, well, for America to lead, we need to import the world's best and brightest. I had an argument with Ted Cruz over that, and he wound up pushing me. It almost got really nasty, and I said, Senator, great speech. I said, I'm Mike Cutler. He said, I recognize you, Mr. Cutler. What's up? And we started talking, and I said, all this talk about bringing in the world's best and brightest, they said, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. And where I come from, we have a word for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. And you would have thought I lit a match to his rear end. <laughs> I can only imagine. Well, you know, because I was taught by my parents to speak up. My dad told me it's easy to spot a real man. He's the guy that has the, the spine. Uh, I'm cleaning it up for you a bit. To step forward and, and, and call it the way it is. My mother's mother, my grandmother, died in the Holocaust because we're Jewish. And my mother said to me, if ever you see things going the wrong way, you've got to stand your ground. Yep. My first wife died of cancer. Her mother was in a concentration camp. I said, how in the world did that happen? She said, well, everyone kept saying it can't get worse. And she said, look what happened. Yeah. I don't believe things can't get worse. And we need to make certain that they don't get worse. And what uh, Vice President Pence said is so perfect. It's not enough to remember the victims and the suffering and the heroics of the first responder. I mean, these people are amazing. They're no less gallant than our men and women, men and women of the armed forces putting their lives on the line every day to keep us all safe. But if that's all we remember and don't endeavor to take whatever steps are essential to prevent it from happening again, then we're missing the point to the exercise. And what's so remarkable is that you know, after 9-11, there was no shortage of politicians who charged up to those microphones with their sharp elbows to elbow each other out because they wanted that photo up in front of the cameras. I mean, they say in Washington, the most dangerous place is to get between Chuck Schumer and a camera, you know. <laughs> and these people charged up to the microphones and they pounded the podium and they said, why didn't they connect the dots? If mm -hmm. only they had connected the dots, right? They had an obsession with dots. So I wrote a piece today for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and I hope after your show, your audience will please go to Front Page Mag, check out the article. If you like it, forward it to everybody, especially the people who disagree with you. Maybe you'll open some eyes. And, and the title of my article is 18 Years After 9-11, The Threat of Terror Attacks Continues. Looking back to 1998, the dots were connected and then ignored. And, and what I wrote about was that those two terror attacks in, in 93, especially the bombing of the Trade Center, led to a hearing that I testified at on May 20th, 1997, about visa fraud and immigration fraud, because it was easily determined that that was the way the bad guys got in and were able to hide in plain sight. 
to use the jargon of the 9-11 Commission, uh, they embedded themselves that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I really so much wanted to, to testify because I recognized the threat, little imagining that on 9-11 they'd find myself in my city with the ashes from the conflagration raining down on us. And I'll never forget that day because my wife walked out of the house, looked up at the sky and saw all this, this ash coming down. She said, my God, this reminds me of the scene from Schindler's List. Do you think that the ashes contain human remains? They said, of course they do. And we were both crying. My neighbors were out screaming because their loved ones worked in the towers. They were vertical cities. Uh, I will never forget that day. And, and, and so, but we saw it coming. Because we knew we were vulnerable and we had been attacked repeatedly. I mean, how many warnings do you get? You know, you get one opportunity for a first impression. Well, the terrorists made the first impression, the second, the third, the fourth. The f- and we're sitting on our hands hitting the snooze button as a country. And we're and doing so it I again. To, oh, it's worse today. And then in 1998, and this is why I, I mentioned that specifically, None other than Senator Dianne Feinstein testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee on the topic of foreign terrorists in the United States. And the speech that she gave, the statement that she made, is one that I could have easily accepted and made. In fact, I spoke to her people routinely for about a year or two after 9-11, and then all of a sudden everybody flipped in Washington. It was remarkable. She talked about ending the visa waiver program, not perhaps giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism, something that President Trump said after 9-11, and there were near riots. She said this three and a half years before 9-11, and, and then she mentioned a couple of facts. I, I want to just read something real quick here, sure. and I want everyone to read the article, because all of this is in the article, so you can pass this along. So that let your kids read it. You're right about the thing about the 18-year-olds. I, I wrote about it. In fact, I was on a radio show, and the producer was a young man of 22, 23 years of age, and he flat out told me, he said, Mr. Cutler, I know a lot more about December 7th, 1941, than I know about 9-11. That's not acceptable. I agree. That leaves us vulnerable. You look at Congresswoman Omar. Some people did something. That's 9-11? Really? I, I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. But... What, what she said, she talked about a number of issues, and then she focused on immigration and said this. There are also a number of glaring loopholes in our immigration laws. As I serve on the Immigration Subcommittee, I just wanted to spend my time touching on some of them. I have some reservation regarding the practice of issuing visas to terrorist-supporting countries and the INS inability to track those who come into the country either using a student visa or using fraudulent documents, as you pointed out, through the Visa Waiver Pilot Program. The Richmond Times, oh, this is amazing. You may not know this. The Richmond Times recently reported that the mastermind of Saddam Hussein's germ warfare arsenal, Rehab Taha, studied in England on a student visa. And England is one of the partic- participating countries in the visa waiver pilot program, which means if she could have gotten a fraudulent passport, she could have come and gone without a visa in the United States. The article also said that Rehab Taha, also known as Dr. Germ, that her professors at the University of East Anglia in Norwich, England, speculate she may have been sent to the West specifically to gain knowledge on biological weaponry. And then she says this, and this blows me away. I'm sure it's going to shock your audience. What is even more disturbing is that this is happening in our own backyard. The Washington Post reported, catch this date, on October 31st, 1991, almost 30 years ago that U.N. weapons inspectors in Iraq discovered documents detailing an Iraqi government strategy to send students to the United States and other countries 
to specifically study nuclear-related subjects to develop their own program. Samir Aj Araji was one of those students who received his doctorate in nuclear engineering, and guess where he received it, folks? From Michigan State University, and then returned to Iraq to head up its nuclear weapons program. He is the reason, I suspect, that our soldiers were looking for nuclear weapons in Iraq, and we educated him here. And this is Diane Feinstein saying this in 1998. And then she goes on and, and says a few other things um, and even talked about political asylum. Uh, she said the defendants of the World Trade Center bombing are also an example of those coming in through non-immigrant or employment-based visas or abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. For instance, Nadal Ayad, one of the defendants in this case, that is the Trade Center bombing in 93, used his position as a chemical engineer for Allied Signal to obtain the chemicals used in the World Trade Center bombing. Then there is Ghazi Abu Mazer, who was arrested in a suspected terrorist plot to detonate bombs in Brooklyn last year. He came in illegally across the Canadian border to Washington State, attempted to seek asylum, withdrew his application, and agreed to leave the country. However, once he was released, he fled Washington to Brooklyn, where he was arrested for plotting suicide bomb attacks in Brooklyn. This is Diane Feinstein, this, the woman from the same party that now demands that we end immigration law enforcement. Unbelievable. How do you account for this? How do you account for this? I can't, Michael. i am be honest with you. I can't account for it. it. To me, it's treasonous, to be honest with you. I agree. I agree. And I use that term to describe the things that Obama was doing with a reporter on the phone that he went nuts and said that was radical. I said, you think I'm radical? He said, absolutely. I said, if this, I said, do you agree there's a war on terror? He said, of course there is. I said, well, what would have happened during the Second World War if it turned out that, that uh, President Roosevelt was facilitating the entry of, Chinese, of uh, Japanese spies and German saboteurs? And there was a long pause. He said, it's different. I said, tell me how it's different. I challenge you, tell me how it's different. You can take an hour. Go for it. He said, I don't have the time. I got to go. And he hung up. Michael Cutler is my guest. You'll be with me for the hour. We've got a lot to talk about. Stick with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Dave Ellswick Show, we don't forget. We're remembering 18 years ago, 9-11. All right, back with you. You know, if you have type 2 diabetes, you can feel stuck. I mean, stuck. You eat right, you exercise, you lose weight, and still your sugar, you know, is high. What do you do? Well, you try programs that you think are going to help you out, and you follow what the doctor has to say for you specifically. So we know that uh, type 2 diabetes is a lot to take on, but there is some good news. There's a new study that might be able to help you. If you suffer from type 2 diabetes and are only on metformin, you can qualify for this new study with our good friends at Applied Research Center of Arkansas. Now, there are some qualifiers. You have to be 18 years of age or older, <coughs> must only be on metformin, and uh, your A1C has to be 8 or above. Give them a call if you're interested, 501-954-7822, or go to arcarkansas.com. All right, Michael Cutler is my special guest here during uh, this hour. And uh, that first segment, I'm going to tell you what, Michael, that was the best segment you've ever done on my show. 
and you've done many segments well, on my show. Well, I appreciate that. You know, look, this is such an important issue. It's a threat. to the. We're dealing with an existential threat. And I was listening to this thing about the beef. You know, it seems as though people that want to be the leader of the free world are afraid of cheeseburgers, but not afraid of China, not afraid of <laughs> radical Islamists who want to kill us. Uh, this is delusional insanity. Yeah. They're arranging the deck, the deck furniture on the Titanic and, 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 and they call that policy. It is, it is stunning. I have to tell you, America's adversaries must be laughing their tails off. And you really have to wonder if the Democrats perhaps don't have investments in the soy market. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't put anything past these people. Uh, follow the money. And, and that's really what the problem is. You know, as a federal agent, I wasn't allowed to take a cup of coffee when I was on duty. And you have politicians every day. You get the emails. I get them. I need money. Give me money. More money. Send me money. Uh, well, wait a moment. Why are we sending you money to do your job? Imagine if I did that as a federal agent or a police officer did that. Imagine a cop pulled you over and, and said to you, well, Mr. Ellswick, um, I need money. So let's start out with you giving me 50 bucks and then we'll talk about your traffic violation. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Am I, am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I, I, and look, if you like somebody... And you say, well, I like him. He's a nice guy. I think he'd make a good congressman. I'll give him 50 bucks. You're not expecting anything. But if you're writing a check for $10,000, I guarantee you there's an expectation. What are you expecting? You're expecting that politician to do something he normally wouldn't do. Well, you wouldn't have to pay him to do it in the first place. Am I wrong? No, you're right. I'm letting, and, 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 I'm letting and, you and go so, today. Take off the gloves, well, I'm, Michael. I'm, I'm in a state of rage. I, I will be honest with you. I'm in a state of rage. I have four children. I have two incredible grandchildren. I fear for their futures. Uh, you know, I, I look at all of this madness, and I'm saying to myself, what in the world passes for leadership? New York State was hammered the worst on 9-11. And we know that the weapon of choice these days by terrorists aren't airplanes, but motor vehicles. All right, hold New York it, hold State it, gives hold illegal it, hold aliens it. driver's license. Okay, hold it right there, because we got to go to the news. When we come back, okay. we'll pick it up. Here with Michael Cutler here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll have that article that he's written on our Facebook page. Blocks north of the World Trade Center. The second building that was hit by the plane has just completely collapsed. The entire building has just collapsed as if a demolition team set off. When you see the old demolitions of these old buildings, it My folded God. down on itself and it is not there anymore. The whole side has collapsed? The whole building has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed? The building has collapsed. That's the southern tower you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. The second building that we witnessed the airplane enter had been the top half had been fully involved in flame it just collapsed there is panic on the streets thousands of people running up church street which is what i'm looking out on trying to get away but the entire at least as far as i can see the top half of the building at least half of it i can't see below that half of it just started with a gigantic rumble folded in on itself and collapsed in a huge plume of smoke and dust all right 18 years ago, 9-11, we still remember. Michael Cutler is with us, special guest. Michael, I just talked to my social media person, and we're putting yep. your article on my Facebook as we speak. So 
Anybody who wants to really read your special it. article today, about 18 years later, uh, all they got to do is go to my Facebook page and, and check it out. So you, all of you who are on uh, Facebook Live right now, you can look at that while Michael is uh, continuing to discuss uh, what we should have learned from 9-11 and have not. And I'm with you. Well, you know, the big existential threat the Democrats seem to think is out there is climate change. You know, I, I find this so remarkable. And, and look, I, I, I was originally a science guy. Uh, I do believe we need to clean up the environment. I've lost family members to cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. I'm sure that we're not doing ourselves any good. But the idea, this is like Chicken Little, in my judgment, running around. So many studies are done, and then scientists come back years later and reverse themselves and reverse themselves again. The Earth has undergone um, a series of ice ages and thought out long before humans came here. And I don't know of any archaeologist who ever found dinosaur bones in, in the wreckage of an 18-wheeler. You know what I'm trying yeah. to say to you? I'm with you. Um, the, the sun drives our climate. And I've spoken to climatologists, who, and, and their, their websites are all over the Internet. And these are folks with PhDs who held high positions in government doing climatology, doing meteorology. And interesting theory is that there's a lot of carbon dioxide dissolved in the oceans when the sun warms the earth and perhaps cosmic radiation increases and decreases. Many factors here. When you warm the water, the carbon dioxide is driven out of the water. It's like leaving a can of soda on your back porch during a summer day. You open up the can and the darn thing just about explodes because water doesn't hold on to gas as it warms. You warm the oceans, it releases carbon dioxide. So there are many climatologists who actually believe that it's the temperature of the Earth that's driving the carbon dioxide levels and not the carbon dioxide driving the temperature. But at least it's a theory that needs to be considered. Yeah. And we also need to recognize that other countries aren't doing anything about it. And, and by the way, uh, this is something to understand that people don't get it. This is about carbon tax. It's not about cleaning up the environment. President Trump was clear about it. He said, why are we going to give this international organization billions and billions of dollars over carbon tax? We should clean up the environment, absolutely. But the bottom line is that you can't give people money and think that's going to solve the problem. I really believe most, most of, much of what we are witnessing is about looting the economy. It is the remittances flowing out of the United States because of the drug trade, because of foreign workers in the United States. Uh, I, I want you to think about something. You know, we're hearing that the caravans have stopped. We don't have nearly as many Ill illegals coming across the border. Um, one of the leaders of DHS came on TV and said the numbers are down by about 50 percent. Everyone's all happy. I'm not happy. Look at the Bahamas. The storm is gone, right? The sun is shining right now down on the Bahamas. I've been to the Bahamas. It's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. The sun is shining. Is the problem over in the Bahamas? Of course not. The devastation remains. I lived through Hurricane Sandy. Parts of New York still are, are, are cleaning up after that disaster. How many years later? So the question is that human tsunami crashed on our shores. They came into the country. They were released and dispersed all over the United States. Guess what, folks? They're still here. They haven't left. They're here. We don't know who they are. And the damage they're doing is unbelievable. They've overwhelmed the immigration court system. So if an immigration agent arrests an alien and that alien needs to go to see an immigration judge, 
It could be years before the judge can get to see that alien. By then, the alien could have committed crimes, could have gotten married, had three kids, and says, hey, I have a vested interest in the United States. I'm not leaving. And then there'll be a lawsuit to be able to enable them to stay here. So the bottom line is the problem that we saw with the caravans hasn't ended. Only one phase of that problem has diminished a bit. But yeah. the problem isn't solved. See, and no one's talking about that. Am I right or wrong, Dave? No, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm going to go ahead and take a, a, a break right now because, Mike, I want to come back with the last segment and give us a little extra time because I want to okay. talk about the seriousness of who is coming into our country that we don't know. We've heard the writings on the wall. We've heard the other side talking yep. that they're putting sleeper cells in our country. It's just a matter of time before those sleeper cells awake. And, you know, they always talk on the, the left about being woke. Well, we're going to get woke up in a harsh way if we don't take care of things. Michael Cutler is our guest. Let's take a break. We'll come back, finish up with him here on this 18th anniversary of 9-11. All right, back with you, getting ready to go back, talk to Michael Cutler. Before we do, today they had the memorial service for 9-11 at the, the site, Ground Zero, and one of the sons of one of the victims had this to say. Good morning, brothers and sisters in good faith. Listen. Some people did something. I am here today to honor my 76-year-old mother, Frances, on the solemn 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Mom, we all miss you and love you very much. This day I also remember over 200 personal friends and co-workers that I knew that died. I remember Virginia Fox. Warren Grifka and Lou Avasano. And I remember your sons and your daughters, your parents and siblings, and all first responders. I remember all, I remember them all, and pray with you for them today. Some people did something, said a freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, to support and justify the creation of care Today I am here to respond to you exactly who did what to whom. Madam, objectively speaking, we know who and what was done. There is no uncertainty about that. Why your confusion? On that day, 19 Islamic terrorist members of Al-Qaeda killed over 3,000 people and caused billions of dollars of economic damage. Is that clear? But as to whom? I was attacked. Your relatives and friends were attacked. Our constitutional freedoms were attacked. And our nation's founding on Judeo-Christian principles were attacked. That's what some people did. Got that now? We are here today, Congresswoman, to tell you and the squad just who did what to whom. Show respect in honoring them, please. American patriotism and your position demanded. For God and country, amen. All right, so that was from today. May I just say, 
well said. Michael Cutler with us. Perfect statement. Yeah, it really was. It was. It was. That's calling them out, buddy. Like that. All right. So and let, we need to. And we need to. Yeah. Let, you let's, know, people say to me, if you if you take a pro enforcement position, aren't you afraid people are going to call you a xenophobe? I was actually called an exophobe by by Arlen Specter, the the late senator from Pennsylvania. And I thought, my God, he must think I'm afraid of the letter X. And then he corrected himself and said xenophobe. <laughs> it's an absurdity. We're adults. I'm not afraid of someone calling me a name. I'm afraid of people dying. That's what keeps me awake at night. Well, let's talk about um, that because we have a border. You, you asked about sleeper agents. Yeah, I wrote go. an article, and this was on May 28th of this year. The title, Hezbollah sleeper agent convicted of plotting U.S. terror attacks, Lebanese-born terrorist was a naturalized U.S. citizen. That immigration system that is so overwhelmed that we can't properly screen people who come into the country also doesn't properly screen people that we give citizenship to. So we wind up giving U.S. passports to people who are terrorists and criminals and fugitives. And when you're a new citizen, you can take a new name, and your U.S. passport only reflects your new name. I raised that issue at congressional hearings, and they refused to do anything about it. When I spoke at Chapman Law School with Michael Chertoff, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, he said, well, he said, you don't know how political that is. I said, to add a second name to a U.S. passport, the original name that the person had when they entered the United States? It's remarkable. It's astonishing. This is America. We went to the moon, but we have no capability of protecting our own borders and safeguarding our own citizens. And so in this article, I noted that back in 2012, Congressman Peter King, who at the time chaired the House Homeland Security Committee, said that there were hundreds of sleeper agents from Iran in the United States. This guy that was arrested was one of them. And guess what? We gave him a degree in biomechanical engineering, and at the time of his arrest, he was recruiting more terrorists and seeking to um, um, recruit more members of his terrorist cell that he was trying to create. He's going to be sentenced at the end of this month. So it's not only that we're being told that terrorists are coming into the country and sleepers are coming. They're being arrested as they are attempting to put together terrorist plots to kill more Americans. Yeah, and in fact, we know hearing they're after here. hearing about Hezbollah operating with the human traffickers and the drug smugglers to flood America with drugs. China's doing a great job killing us with fentanyl, our trade partner, my, my backside, trade partner. They're our adversary, make no mistake. And at the same time, while we know that the bad guys, Hezbollah, is trying to bring people and drugs into the United States, including sleeper agents, you have both parties saying they don't want to allocate money to build a wall to prevent these people from coming into the country with their poisons and with their criminals. Think about that. Yeah. Both parties are involved. If you want collusion, talk about immigration. And an immigration bill sailed through the House just a couple of months ago that would give everybody with an H-1B visa a green card and increase all the numbers of foreign workers in the United States. And for all the talk about how the parties won't work together... That bill went through with more than a three-quarter majority without so much as a hearing or an amendment. It just sailed on through. If you want to see collusion, folks, tell members of Congress, tell these political elitists that you have legislation that will screw Americans and they will jump over each other to vote for it. Both parties, because they've been bought and paid for, in my judgment. All right. So, Michael, let me just ask this question. I mean, you've been at this for how many years now? 30 years? Yep. Okay, 30 years. I hate to say more than 30 years. I got my badge. I hate to tell you, I got my badge in 1971. How scary is that? All right, so you've been doing this about as long as I've been doing radio. I just celebrated my 50th anniversary 
couple of weeks well, ago. Congratulations. With, with, with that said, though, let me just ask you, with all of the experience that you have, if you could sit in front of uh, a committee and help put together a piece of legislation, how would you change the visa program so that it would protect America uh, from these sleeper agents that make their way here into our, our nation? Well, I think the president is right to saying if you come from a country where we can't vet you, then you shouldn't be allowed in. I also think the real key, believe it or not, to border security is interior enforcement. Because right now, everybody around the world knows one thing. If you can get past that inspector at the airport or get past the border patrol at, at one of our, either the northern border, the southern border, or, or, or come ashore on a boat without inspection, you're home free. In that game of hide and seek, there's nobody to seek. There's nobody to do the investigations to uncover the fraud. These are failures by design. I wrote about that. Because, again, the immigration system is a delivery system. And most importantly for the politicians, it delivers an unlimited supply of clients to the immigration law firms, both parties. If you only have 6,000 immigration agents and half of them aren't even doing immigration work, how do you expect to enforce the immigration laws or conduct routine fraud investigations to uncover the fraud? And, and by the way, I think that's another reason why the politicians don't want immigration agents because they will be able to find the crooked lawyers. And I've been involved in a number of cases that involve lawyers who wound up getting criminally prosecuted. So you make sure that you, you enact tough laws, and then you make equally sure that you don't hire the agents to actually enforce the law. That's the magic act that they're doing. We have over a million members of the armed forces. We have 45,000 people working at TSA. New York City has 38,000 police officers, and we have 6,000 ICE agents, and only half of them are doing immigration work. You know, it's amazing because we had 6,000 cops protecting Times Square on New Year's Eve. And the entire United States of America have about 6,000 immigration agents for the entire country. And then consider they work 24-7. You have to have shifts and days off. And again, half of them not doing immigration work. This isn't immigration enforcement. It is a straw man. It is a scarecrow in the field. And once these characters figure out that this is an empty threat, they know that it's a free-for-all. There are no consequences for violating our borders and violating our laws, and we wind up with mayhem. It suppresses wages. It allows criminals and terrorists to set up shop in America. It costs our lives. You know, it's interesting. Madoff stole money by the billions. Uh, these politicians are stealing something more precious, our lives and the lives of our children. We need to stand up to the politicians. They need to know that we're not the blithering idiots that they hoped that we were. You know, uh, I, I will tell you, I spoke uh, at an event uh, in Washington not that long ago, and I knew there would be politicians in the audience. There were about a 1,000 people in the crowd. And I decided, and I, I'm going to do this with you, because it's been a very somber day and it's a very depressing day, and maybe we need to lighten it just slightly. What I did was to say to them that there are similarities between the two oldest professions, if you get my drift. <laughs> and I said... And I said that both professions begin with the letter P. And by the way, it was fun watching the politicians squirming in the audience. It was enjoyable. I wish I had a video camera. <laughs> both professions begin with the letter P. Both professions involve lots of people getting screwed. In both professions, the practitioners will assume any position, no matter how ridiculous, uncomfortable, or contrary to common sense, for the right price. In prostitution, the clientele bring their fantasies that the prostitute tries to fulfill, in politics, the constituents bring their concerns, and the politicians respond by making promises that they fulfill by creating fantasies. 
STDs can give the clients of prostitutes a case of buyer's remorse or maybe something more serious, while voters may as well suffer buyer's remorse when they come to find out what their elected official actually does once he or she is sworn into office. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. How did I do? You did fine, Michael. You're, this is the reason you, you've become, you know, a, a person who's on every quarter on the Dave Ellswick show or when there's special times to talk about this. Uh, you cut through all the BS, the smoke and the mirrors, and you get right to the point. I appreciate your time. Again, we're going to have that article on our Facebook for our listeners to uh, be able to read. I highly ask you to read that and then forward it to all of your friends to read as well. Make it go viral. We can do that. It's very easy to do. I'd love love to see that happen. And please go to my website. It's michaelcutler.net. I also write for dmlnews.com. And look at my other articles at Front Page Magazine because they deal with all of these issues. Absolutely. And finally, you know, Friday night I do my, my blog talk radio show, the Michael Cutler Hour at 7 p.m. on blog talk radio. Look, ever since those ashes landed on my house and my neighbors died, I have been determined to do whatever it takes to wake up as many of our fellow Americans as possible. This isn't a left-right issue, folks. This is a right-wrong issue. It's as simple as that. I agree with you. Michael, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate you. We will talk to you very quickly down the road, I'm sure. Does Michael Cutler remember 9-11? He remembers the ashes coming from the World Trade Center's landing in his neighborhood. Yeah, he remembers. He remembers very, very well. All right, we got uh, Joe of Joe's Garage coming up. Duck, not going to be here today. He had his uh, knee surgery Monday. He's doing well. He's recovering at home. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about cars when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Amazing. Yes. I mean, with Joe and I were just sitting here talking about the day that that happened, 9-11, uh, 18 years ago. And uh, Joe's garage at that point didn't have all that new side that you got with the extra lifts and stuff. No, we just had the old side and 
me and Susan and one of my customers was in the office that morning and had the TV on and saw the first one, then the second one, and then the first one fall, then the second one fall, and it was really like we looked at each other and said, that changes the world. Yeah, and it did, and it has. Yes. It's, it's definitely changed the world that we live in, and here's the problem. You listen to Michael Cutler just last hour. The important stuff hasn't changed about visas and things like that that would if we change some things would give us more protection from that kind of stuff ever happening again and uh, we don't take care of business well you know you conquer from within so i'm sure that there's a lot of bad people out there that have come across our border dave and that's their plan oh yeah there's no doubt about it they know more years before they implement it but it's coming well they know they know it that they've come across they Mm -hmm. they understand that it's come across and those the squad and omar and all that crap with some people did something give me a break we know who the people were we know what they did and we know what the result was uh we don't have to pretend and we will not let you pretend that we don't have a clue i just got one question for that how are you dumb enough not to know yeah that's a good question yeah, she don't need to be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, period. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need to be there. All right, so uh, Joe is here from Joe's Garage. Duck is not here. Uh, I was going to put a black reef in here, but he didn't die. He just had no. surgery. So he's not here today. His his headphones are, are uh, hung on his microphone right now. He's back at home, and, and he's getting better. I, I saw him yesterday before he went home and he seemed to be doing okay did he tell you about that little device that they yeah. said keeps his knee moving mm-hmm. constantly he's yeah. got to do that eight hours a day mm-hmm. so that it doesn't tighten up and he gets to go to pt tomorrow oh yeah for the first time so i get to go see the terrorist there at the physical therapy place because here's the key take, they're gonna hurt him take the pain pill before oh, yeah. you go. I've already told him. And after it's over, take another pain pill. Yeah. You will need it. Because he said that they got him up walking uh, just hours after, but they gave him a uh, a block mm-hmm. in his hip so that he wasn't feeling any pain out of his knee. And I said, you know that that stops when you leave this hospital. Mm-hmm. It'll just be the pill. And he says, yeah, I know. And I said, you might get a stick and wrap cloth around it. <laughs> Give you something to bite down on if you need it. You know. <laughs> well, you know, I remember my days in the PT, and uh, I'm sure his are going to be pretty similar there. Well, yours yeah. was your hip. Yeah, they're going to get you to work in it, and sooner the better, and the soreness will go away, and then they, you know he'll get his strength back in there, and he'll be he'll be in a lot better shape than he is before he had the surgery than after but the transition between is pretty tough so yeah well he said that he was hurting a little bit yesterday but he said nothing like i was uh before they did this operation mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm glad to hear that i've talked sure. to a lot of people about that about three weeks he'll be uh, up and moving around pretty good at, yeah. and by by that uh, by that time so that's the reason why Duck is not here today. He kind of alluded to it last week that he wouldn't be back for about three weeks. Yeah, he's going to take care of his uh, his new uh, 
bionic parts. He'd be the, I don't know if he's, a, he's like the, not the $6 million man. He's the $100,000 man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got a <laughs> he's little got bit of extra piece. work to do to get up to $6 million. But yeah. uh, if you if you work hard enough, you can get there. Oh, yeah. All right. So last time I had you on, and let's go back and kind of re-cover uh, some of it because yeah, I know it's ninety something degrees outside right 93 now. Ninety three on my way over here. Was it yep. okay? It feels like probably over a hundred. Yeah, it's very hot. So it's really hot outside, and you're not thinking about cold weather yet. But now's the time to call Joe or any other bumper to bumper certified service centers and make an appointment to go in and take care of uh, your car for winter. Yes. So. What are the things they need to do, Joe? Well, you know, you don't think much about it, but as as the summer months go away and the winter months come on, it's time to get your car in. And actually, uh, this is September and uh, end of October, 1st of November day. If any car comes into my shop, we'll be checking in a freeze-freeze point on it. Okay. As a courtesy to my customers, I don't want them to have any service done and them wonder why in january their cars froze up and they didn't ask for it so we just did it for them without a masking but if it's not up to par we're gonna recommend they get a coolant flushing and a coolant replacement so and you know coolant is antifreeze and antifreeze is coolant it does the same thing in the winter time as it does in the summertime in the summertime it helps keep the engine cool in the winter time it keeps the engine from freezing and you know so it's it's a dual purpose and 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 Every five years or so, it needs to be replaced. They have some out there they call lifetime, but still, I think after five years, especially, you need to check it and 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 replace it if needed. So I've never known anything that lasts a lifetime. Now, nah. um, I, 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 the definition of a lifetime is is very vague. I promise you. <laughs> I'd like to see. I want to read their warranty. Mm-hmm. What it is it? We think. Well, we warrant this that as long as you own your car and you put this in, it's going to be okay. They're not going to say that. No, it's not going to say that. Will not. You know, five five years is a good average on it. You know, there was time when you had the old green stuff, the original stuff. Do it every year. That's it. And way away from that now, they got red antifreeze, blue antifreeze, yellow antifreeze, green antifreeze. Some they say you can't mix some of it some of it you can mix you just have to pay attention to what's going on but you're back to whatever kind of car you own you know whether it's a, a mercedes benz or a, a dodge dart put what in it put back what in it what the manufacturer recommends and and there's a lot of little things about you know how to burp the the radiator system and all of that. And I'm going to just tell you. It's not a do-it-yourself yeah, thing anymore. That's what I was going to say. That's why. Why not take it over to Bumper to Bumper Certified Service Center and let the pros take care of things? Well, you know, we've had two questions here in the past month about that, that the guys, the the car owner has said, I have flushed my coolant system, refilled it with antifreeze, and now it runs hot. That's probably because it's not properly vented and got the air out of the system it's got uh, some air trapped in there and and there and there are procedures to do that and you you know even today's world you can you can get online and and you can search anything yeah but some of those search forums they ain't accurate i can tell you that some of them are spot on but you don't know which ones are and which ones ain't so and you can actually do damage to the vehicle if you don't get it bled out properly and get the air out of the system 
It can cause your heater not to work properly in the wintertime. It can cause your engine to overheat in the summertime or even in the wintertime because it's not properly filled up because it's not vented properly. And all that trapped air in there causes the water pump to cavitate and it doesn't circulate like it should. Can cause problems, too. You betcha. Bad problem. Yes. You, you, you know, you can, in 99% of all head gasket failures are due to one thing, overheating. There, there's no doubt about that. That's the only thing that will cause a head gasket to bust, split, crack, or crack a cylinder head, any, any way you want to word that. only thing that will cause it to do that, engine overheating. And that happens summer, spring, fall, or winter. That's correct. And the two things that are most common to make an engine overheat, and I'm going to say 90% of the time, is two things. One, low coolant level. Two, Inaccurate, inaccurate circulation. All right, because it's not pumping Which is properly. usually low coolant level. That's correct. Because <laughs> <laughs> that pump won't pump it if it's low. You know? Right. And if you if you sit there and you rev that engine up and it gets a burst of water and it pumps it through, then it cools down. But if you let it sit there long enough, even at a fast idle, it's going to overheat too because you don't have enough coolant in there circulating fast enough to cool that engine off. And the water pump. Doesn't it doesn't it accelerate a little bit when you accelerate? No, it runs. It, it's driven off the engine. Okay. They have some vehicles that have what they call an auxiliary pump on them, which is an electric pump that helps. Some of them are just pure electric, but 99% of them work off a manual water pump controlled by the engine RPM. All right. Let me give you a question. Sure. This is uh, Steve with a 1998 Jeep Cherokee Classic, a four-cylinder 2.5 liter engine. He says, my Cherokee has started stalling. It is at its worst during the first 10 minutes of driving, but can also happen after 30 plus minutes of highway driving. It stalls when I take my foot off the accelerator or take hard turns. It seems to stall more frequently the hotter the temperature and humidity are outside. My normal mechanic consulted with a master mechanic and gave three possibilities. One, a vacuum leak. Two, an electrical problem. Three, a problem somewhere in the fuel system. He he suggested that these three possibilities before I realized the correlation to the outside temperature. I do have some other electrical problems with the gauge cluster. The oil and fuel gauges have mines of their own and are constantly jumping around. Any help is helpful. Well, the dying when you when in the morning when it's cold it is related, I think, and I'll explain it all, Dave. When you start this engine in the morning cold, it has an idle air control motor, which means the idle is controlled electronically and... There's a little uh, idle air control motor pulls a plunger out and creates a control vacuum leak. When its engine's cold, it's going to idle faster than when it warms up. As the engine warms up and the coolant temp comes up on it and the engine gets hotter, that idle comes down. As it comes down, the idle air control motor, the throttle plate and the throttle body has got a minimum amount of air that has to flow across it. And it knows how much that minimum amount of air is. And then you're controlling the idle with a control vacuum leak with an idle air control motor, okay? Okay. When air gets really humid outside, it gets really thick. The hotter it is, the more humid it is, he said it's worse. All right. That tells me that throttle body's probably stopped up. 
Okay. Because it doesn't have the minimum amount of air flowing across it, and the idle air control motor is trying to adjust for it. The reason it dies when he comes to stops or lets his gas foot off the gas when he's making a turn or something, because you'll pull that foot plumb off the gas, throttle plate closes completely. There should be a minimum amount of air flowing across that plate. There's not. That little bitty idle air control motor cannot react fast enough to keep the motor from dying huh. because it's gummed up. Okay. That's what I see from what he, his question right there, Dave. Okay, so it's not a vacuum leak, it's not electrical, and it's not really a problem somewhere in the fuel system. I don't think so. It's in it's in the fuel management system, right. which the throttle body is part of that. So, you know, and it's a real simple thing, and people forget about this. It is a maintenance item. They have to be cleaned periodically. I don't care whether it's a 98 model or a 2019. That dirt that flows through the, uh, the, uh, uh, the throttle body, the plates have to be cleaned periodically because they will collect little bitty pieces of, of, of grams of dirt. And as time goes on, they build up. So how often do you think that should be done? I think that it ought to be done, in my opinion, about every 15,000, 20,000 miles. Okay. Yeah. You know, you, they don't recommend a tune-up for 100K, but I think the throttle body and the idle air control motor, and, and, and maybe more often, depending on what kind of service you're in. If you have a work truck and it's on the dirt, dusty, dirty roads all the time, more often than that probably ever 10,000 miles because it will eventually that air filter that's in the truck is not going to collect all the dirt little bitty grams get through there and they get hang up on that throttle body and they'll eventually make a little black ring around it if you've ever seen one uh, it's self-explanatory next time you're at the shop remind me to show you a throttle body and i'll show you what i'm talking about all right we'll take a look at it yep we'll do that all right we got to get a break in let's do that you know you got a 96 percent chance and it's not to win the lottery. It's a 96% chance of losing $111,000 in Social Security benefits. According to new research in Bloomberg, 96% of Americans lose $111,000 in Social Security benefits because they take their benefits at the wrong time. Don't be one of those folks. Learn how you can avoid this by going to an educational workshop called Maximizing Social Security with David Lucas right here in Little Rock. Two workshops uh, workshops coming up in, here in this month, Tuesday the 24th, Thursday the 26th. Registration is just 20 bucks. Seats are selling fast. So if you save $250,000, register now by calling 501-653-6690. This workshop will reveal the little-known strategies that's going to help you wring every nickel out of your benefits. And those benefits are rightfully yours. Keep that in mind. It's not like you should have to beg for these. You've been paying into it for a long time. Most of us have. 501-653-6690 is the number. Or register online at davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, so it's 27 minutes after 4. Joe is here from Joe's Garage. Duck is not here. If you weren't with us earlier, uh, he had his knee surgery because it's been giving him all kinds of grief. Uh, He'll be uh, probably out of pocket for about three weeks, and then he'll be joining us back here in the uh, the studio again. Uh, 
I saw him yesterday. He looked great. He was really in, in good, good shape and in good spirits, and that's good. He's got this little device that he keeps his leg on that keeps moving his knee. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting the the different things they do now that they didn't yeah. do before. And they have a lot more success now with those surgeries than they used to have. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, you know, technology, just like his his scar that he's going to have is it's smaller than it used to be, and they do it completely different. They used to cut the ends of the bone off and put these pieces in there. Now they just machine, I think a robot goes in there and grinds it down, puts a cover on it, and then, you know, it's, it's completely That's what different. what it is. Yeah. It's a robot that did all this yeah. work on him. Now, the doctor, the surgeon's still there. I mean, it's not like they just put you in a room and a robot comes in and, and has its way with you, but there's there's a doctor still there, but still... It's pretty amazing what they do now. Yeah. Because that robot can be more specific. Well, it maps the joint before and then yeah. does its job and then makes it come back exactly the same. It's, it's just anybody it's who says they want to they want to live back in the old days, yeah, I I can have an argument with you about that. Let's talk about you know, uh you go to a place that uses uh some other uh, parts store, you use bumper to bumper, you use bumper to bumper because it's the best parts store. That, and you talk about old days, they've been around for 100 days, Dave. Yeah, 100, 100 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, you know. They know the business. If you walk into one of their stores, you're going to see name brand parts in there, you know. I'm talking about Gates, AC Delco, bump, uh, uh, Motorcraft, Standard Motor Products. The list goes on and on. These are quality automotive part manufacturers at the best price for us as installers and the best delivery service to us. And the best part, the best price, best delivery service. You can't beat that, Dave. Yep. That's what we need. Every part, two years, 24,000 miles, or if you use a bumper-to-bumper credit card, three years, 36,000 miles. That's the part and the labor. Absolutely. Got the news. Let's do that. Then we'll be back with Joe. Got more car questions for him. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans, white cold. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America. Joe, do you remember that? Yes. When the senators and the Congress people got up on the the steps of the co- uh, the Capitol and saying that, yes, I think that's the last time they ever been together and well, saying agreed anything on something like anyway. Yeah. Right now, they don't have enough. That won't be a hundred percent of them. Yeah. But some of them don't know why it happened or what we're here that, for. Yeah, what isn't it's that about. true? Yeah. yeah. Some people did something. Yeah. Some people did something. Yeah. All right. 2010, Ben says you got a 2010 Ford F-150 XLT. What's that stand for? XLT. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a package. Okay. Cause yeah. I, I just found out the, the one that says WT. It's a, it's a work truck. I just heard about well, that. Well, that would be a work truck. And then HD is a heavy duty and, 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 but the XLT is, is like, uh, you know, you can get a LT 
an XLT, uh-huh. and and all different packages as far as windows, locks, and how many doors, three doors, four doors, no. okay. uh, four door crew cab, so on. So. All right, so uh, Zach, this is somebody calling in by car. Okay, let's go ahead and get them first. Okay, yeah, Bob. Bob's driving. Bob, what's up, brother? Uh, another beautiful day in paradise, sir. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> nice and warm, isn't it? <laughs> Go right ahead. Yeah, it's 93, feels like 102. Yeah, you know, love, that's why I love Arkansas. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, my question is, is uh, to Joe. Yes, sir. I got a 2014 uh, Ford Explorer uh, Limited, and I got some wheel bearings going bad on it. What brand of wheel bearing replacement do you recommend? Moog. Well, I can tell you that Moog is is the is the best on the market that I know of. But I will tell you this: at bumper to bumper, when you buy a Partsmaster wheel bearing hub assembly, it's the same as the Moog. Oh, nice! It's and and and, and people say, well, how come it costs less? It's because bumper to bumper didn't buy it from Moog. They they branded it and they had the manufacturer that makes it for Moog. Put it in their box. You get the exact same part at less price because you cut out that middleman. Now that's a parts company that's doing not just me some good, but it's doing you some good because you get a quality part at a cheaper price, and that makes my job easier because I know I'm putting the good parts on your vehicle, and it makes you feel yeah. more comfortable. You got the best part, and it's not at the best part price. Okay. Isn't that great? Got you. Yeah. That is great. Yes, sir. Because I've had, I've read a lot about it, and I do know I got a wheel bearing going bad. So, On on the Explorers, it's usually a rear one. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually, I believe it's a right rear. Yeah. Taking it out for a drive and, you know, zigzagging it. Yeah. She gets louder when she goes to the right, so. Yeah, a lot of times he leans you, on the right. I should say. Yeah, when when you steer to the left, put all the weight on the right, the noise gets louder. Yep. Yeah, it's it's probably the right rear, and the rear ones go out more often than the front ones on those explorers. I'm not sure why. It's just it's just the way it is. You know? it's, the, it's the same part front and back. Well, it's it's on the, the all wheel drive ones. Yeah, but I don't know why the rear ones go out more than the front ones. You see what I'm saying? It's all-wheel drive. I just, yes, sir. It's lighter back there is what I'm thinking. You see what I'm saying? So I don't know why, but it does. So it is what it is, you know. And, and if, if 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 you buy the parts master from, from bumper to bumper, you'll be getting the best, best wheel bearing out there that I know of. All right. All right. I appreciate it because uh, your word means a lot to me. Well, thank you, Bob. I, I appreciate it. I visited that. your shop before, and... You gave me some honest answers, and I really appreciate that, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. All right, Bob. Thanks for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Drive safe. Try to stay cool out there. All right. If you have a question, 823 And, you know, like Bob said, one thing you know about talking to Joe, you get the straight skinny. That's the way we used to say it in the military. Straight well, skinny. I don't know where that came from, but straight skinny. I give a lot of bad news every day, Dave. People bring their cars in, they have problems with them. I call them, and anytime I report on a repair of car making a noise or AC not working or transmission or, you know, engine making noise, rear end making noise, it's bad news to them. But I can honestly tell you, 
you may not like what I say, but it'll always be the truth. Yeah. Because I ain't got no reason to lie to you about it, and it is what it is. And when he says that it's fixed, it will be fixed. If it's not, I'll take care of it. All right. Just keep that in, in mind. Anyway, 823-0965, number to call. If you've got some kind of problem with your car or your wife's car or your son's car or your daughter's car, all right, just keep that in mind. Got a caller in. Who who we got here? All right. Chris is in North Little Rock. Hi, Chris. How are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe's sitting right here. Go ahead. Hey, Chris. How are you? Thank you, Mr. Joe, Mr. Dave. Yeah. Uh, got a quick question about my my father's truck. He's got an old 93 Chevy truck, and it's got the 350 in it. And every time it warms up when he drives it, it'll die. And he cannot start it until it cools off. Then it'll start right back up. Okay, 93 model. Uh, I'm going to say that most yes, likely, sir. most likely, that's got a bad ignition module. What happens is the module, when it gets to operating temp or normal operating temp on the engine, the module is defective. It overheats. It quits functioning. Now, when you let it sit there for a little bit and cool off, that module cools off. It goes back to working again. Uh, generally, you yes, don't. Sir, that's exactly what. Yes, I, I would be willing to bet money on it that it needs a new module and distributor. Okay. I sure do. Thank you very much. You're very All welcome. Right. There you go. Easy, easy question, easy answer. All right. So we, we, we see those all the time, Dave, especially on them older ones. Uh, the, the the later models, it's different. The modules are built different. But on those older ones, see, they're still mounted in the distributor, so they're subjected to a lot of engine heat. And especially on a 5.7, distributor's in the back of that motor. So when, when the engine gets 200, 210 degrees normal operating temp. So does it distribute. That, well, yeah. <laughs> and it's in the motor, so it's probably a little hotter than that. And what will happen is the, the, the circuit in there, the chipset gets hot and breaks down. It quits functioning. And when it cools off, it goes back to working. Yeah. Common, common symptom right there. Yeah. And not a good symptom to have to put up with. It can leave you on the side of the road for 20, 30 minutes while you're waiting on it, and you can start it up again. You might drive it 30 miles before it does it again. Amazing. You drive it at night or on a cold morning. No problem. In the wintertime, you might go further than that before it does it. All right. Yep. Got time to take a break here. Let's do that. Give you a time to call in. 823-0965. 823-0965. You got a question? Now's the time to call. Joe's here to answer your questions. I've got one from Ben. We'll get to it as soon as we're done with our phone calls. I see more coming in. We'll take those first here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, 13 minutes till uh, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock hour. If you didn't hear the 3 o'clock hour, stick around. Michael Cutler joined me at 3 o'clock. And I got to tell you, exceptional hour. You'll want to hear what he had to say. All right, Joe, Ben has a 2010 Ford F-150 XLT 8-cylinder 5.4 liter engine. Does it got an issue with loss of power when climbing hills and putting strain on the engine? This all started about a month ago when I noticed my truck wasn't running right when I tried passing someone. It is really doggy. When you slam on the accelerator, and it takes a while to get up to speed, but when you reach 60, it seems to be fine until you hit a steep hill, 
then it bogs down again. I've spent a lot of hours researching and trial and error things and can't figure it out. It has a check engine light that's throwing O2 sensor codes upstream, I believe. Mechanic said that the sensors were working correctly when he hooked it to his laptop system that plugged into my truck port. Idle's fine. Engine is fairly quiet, has a normal ticking sound. I've tried a tune-up replacing spark plugs and coil packs, but that didn't change anything. I noticed that it is a lot worse from 10 miles per hour to 35 miles per hour. It is like something is holding it back, and then when it hits 5560, it takes off like normal. Help if you can. Well, there's about 10 questions I'd like to ask him, but I'm going to try and read through his lines here. He's covered all the basic ignition stuff, Dave. Okay. There's two things I would like to know. I would like to know what the fuel pressure is on the vehicle. And they've had some trouble with the fuel pumps on these because it's got a fuel pump module that controls the fuel pump, and it speeds it up and slows it down. And I would like to see on a scanner what that fuel pump is and what it's actually got, what the pressure is, what it's calling for, and what it's got. Number two, the O2 codes. If the O2s are functioning normally, there shouldn't be a code in there. Now, the loss of power and doggy and just draggy and all that, you know, he could have had an engine management problem in the ignition and fixed that, but he may be experiencing effects from that, which could be a restricted exhaust system. That would make it be slow on takeoff, low power, and the O2s are going to set codes for it because it can't exit the exhaust, and it, and they're going to read wrong. And if it builds up in there, it's going to say we're too rich. It leans the motor out. It ain't got enough fuel. There's there, and, and, and I got about probably about five more things I'd want to look at on a scanner mm-hmm. and road test his vehicle and do some tests on it. i pull one of them O2s out and look at it, and I would also run a back pressure test on the exhaust, see if the exhaust is stopped up. And I'd really be looking at that fuel pump and the fuel pump module and desired fuel pressure and what it's actually got. Well, the, the, I know on the, on the fuel pumps, you guys can go in and look deeper than what most people can do on those. Yes. There, there's ways to hook. Uh, you can graph those pumps, see if they're working. You get amp clamps on them, and you look at graphs. And on the variable speeds, they're a little bit more difficult, but there are some tests to do on that. And and uh, I, I'm going to say he's either got a fuel low fuel pressure volume problem or uh, a restricted exhaust system from the way he describes what he's, you know, and he's put a lot of parts on it. And it's back to the, you know, he's done this himself, I think, part of it, by sure. the way he worded that. And, you know, he's trying to fix it, but he's kind of guessing at it. And, and and we've had this discussion before. If you know, test, don't guess. Test, don't guess, because it's real simple. You can spend a lot of money you don't need to and not ever fix your problem, which is, is what what needs to be addressed. Not guess at what it is. Actually mm-hmm. test and find out what it is and then pinpoint it and then go directly to that day. Yeah, it just makes sense. And, and, that, and look, this is the reason I come to you because I know that my days of troubleshooting a car are over just because of how complex they've become. So why waste my time and my money when I can bring the car to you and you guys can get it right the first time. 
Well, you know, just like his truck, you could go in there, you could hook up a scanner, a cheap scanner or a code reader, and you'll get some data, some PIDs, some basic stuff. But when he, when he comes to one of our, our bumper-to-bumper certified service center shops, we hook up a scanner on it, and our test equipment we have costs ten, fifteen thousand yeah. dollars 15000 Instead of having, you know, 60 PIDs, I'm going to look at 400 I'm going to go into mode 6 and see what it looks like in there, okay? We're going to drive this truck and see what's going on with it. We're basically back to we're going to test, not guess, and we can pinpoint the problem and, and give him an estimate to fix it. All right. Final question for you. Right. Sean's got a 2013 Chrysler Town and Country Touring six-cylinder 3.6. All right. He took his car or his, uh, I think his Town and Country would be a van, Yeah. in for a, a uh, oil change and a tire rotation. When I left the shop, the traction control light came on as well as the emergency brake and the ABS light. I checked, and no, the e-brake was not pressed in. As I started driving, I realized that I could not go over 30 miles per hour unless I took it out of traction control mode. As soon as I did that, I could accelerate, but my tachometer and my speedometer stopped working. What do you think? Well, can I give my first answer here? Sure. Why didn't you just not U-turn and go right back to that shop? Yeah, he needed to do that. And, and you know, I, I can't say if they did something, but, you know, all of the wheels on that have wheel speed sensors, and all of the tires on that are going to have uh, uh, tire monitors. And I don't know if they did something, but, you know, it, it, I have everybody that works on cars deals with things that were wrong with it before they worked on it and things that weren't wrong with it before the, after they worked on it, okay? Yes. So you, you have to deal with that as part of it. But like I tell my customers, they come back and say, well, it wasn't doing this before you did that. Say, so, well, let's see what's wrong with it. It'll tell us what whose fault it is. Right. And they'll look at me and say, why, how, why is that? I said, because that car can't talk. He ain't going to tell no lies. What's wrong with it is wrong with it. Put that right tire on this Bible. Yeah, that's it, because it, it's going to tell you. And if you look in there and say, well, it's got a bad front wheel speed sensor, and if you look at it, if it's not broke or damaged, then it's not something that the folks there did. And maybe when they rotated the tires, they didn't learn them back. Well, I'm going to say this now. A lot of cars and trucks today, what if, in the process of doing that, the air pressure's low on one of them, they didn't relearn them, they didn't check them, what if one of the tires is not the crack correct size? What if? There's so many what ifs. Yeah, there's you a lot could go of them. through the what ifs for, for days here, but it's by point blank. What if the brake fluid leaked down on it and the brake fluid level sensor says it's low? That'll turn the brake light on. That'll turn the traction control light on. That'll turn the ABS light on. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I would really want to know exactly what all service was done on that and just other than the tire rotation and, and such and such. And the oil change. Yeah, because a lot of times with an oil change, sometimes they'll flush brake fluid systems, they'll flush uh, power steering systems and, and, and change filters. I'd like to know everything they've done to that because some engine codes can disable the traction control, even if it's got a code in the engine. Let's just say they checked the air filter and they left the – Air, the air temp center unplugged because it's on the air inlet tube of the mass airflow, plugged it back up, and that set a code in the engine, okay? Say you had an engine light on before, but it set a different code now. Mm-hmm. This code that it set has turned off the track control and turned on the ABS because it has an engine control problem. You have to remember that the engine, the transmission, 
the analog brakes, the traction control, the steering angle sensor, the yaw rate sensor, all of them talk to each other. If one of them's got a problem, it turns the whole system off and turns all those lights on. All right. So there's a lot to look at there to see why those lights are on. It may not have been the company's fault. Maybe well, it might have else. been a very small mistake. Yeah. Just a wire unplugged and, and they didn't get it plugged back in. But he already had a light on, so he don't know that he's got something else Correct. going on there. So, All right. Manny sent this question for you. 2013 Dodge Avenger SE six-cylinder 3.6. So I'm doing the oil change when I notice that the oil filter bypass valve was broken. Common problem in this engine, supposedly. I was able to fish out the spring, but not the little plastic piece. I think it fell inside the housing, maybe into one of the holes. How bad is this? Would be a bummer if I have to pull the engine apart. I think you can generally you can take the housing off that and get it out of there, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's gonna be that big a repair. Uh a lot of times the little plastic piece, like I said, it may be in there. He needs to look in his filter he took off and make sure that it didn't get wedged up in it too, okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. Bottom line. That's all the time we got today. All right, Dave. So uh, Joe will be back with us next Wednesday. Uh, Duck will be right back with us in about three weeks. And uh, if you have questions, you just send them to me, Dave, at SalemLR.com. And uh, I'll read them on the air to Joe, and he'll answer the questions for you. Or when he's on, call in, 823 We'll take a break for news. And after news, myself, Michael Cutler. Remembering 9-11, 18 years later. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 